This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This week, we are kicking off a final series for the year every Tuesday for this week and the next three Tuesdays, so four weeks in a row. We're going to be covering the topic of AI team success. What does it take to build a cross-functional AI team that not only can write code, but can push something into deployment? that can actually move an enterprise forward in terms of AI adoption and really seeing ROI. Obviously, that is easier said than done, but we wanted to talk to people that have seen it happen in the real world and who can share great advice. We had Mazine Gilbert on the show with us not terribly long ago. He used to head up AI with AT&T. He is now heading up telco AI with Google. Mazine has worked within large, established, we could even say stodgy, existing enterprises, watching them make the slow process of adopting AI. And now he works within one of the most digitally savvy companies in the world, the sort of exemplar of big tech, that is to say Google. And he has seen both sides of the fence. In this episode, Mazin talks about what it takes to have business stakeholders work together with data scientists and what kind of communication regimens should be in place to get to ROI in a real established enterprise company. Again, this is somebody who's seen the inside of big tech and a big company, somebody who's very close to the technology, but also steering business initiatives. We're grateful to have Mazin's expertise on this episode. Again, this is the first of a series on building successful AI teams. I hope you like this episode. And without further ado, let's fly into the first one. This is Mazin Gilbert with Google here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Mazin, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. Today, we are talking about building successful AI teams. You've certainly done this within very large organizations. And we have a lot of listeners who, some of them are technical, but some of them are not technical, but they do have to head up AI projects and they've got to think about who's on my team? What makes an AI team successful? What kind of advice would you have for leaders in that position? So I'll start with the simple thing is that, as you probably have read a bunch of books, that first they will tell you is that first, get the right team on the bus, right? Yes, yes, yes. Good to great. Good to great. Yep. Um, Good to great. Okay. So the first thing is you need to have top talents in this space. Okay. You need to collect the top talent in this space who understand data, data science, software engineering, and and really, so that's one. It's it's the talent. You've got to bring the talent together. Okay. Two, it's not just any talent. There are a lot of good talents out there in AI. What I have seen, at least in my experience, the best teams have a very unique culture in this area of, of where I have spent my time on recently is the network automation. Is that yep, yep. that team really sort of breathe systems that their goal, it's a zero-touch system. It's a zero-touch network. So they build, they design the system thinking it's going to be zero touch. It's completely autonomous from the get-go. They don't build it by saying, okay, I'm going to build this feature or this next feature or this next feature. No, they built the whole thing, designed the whole thing from the end, end to end saying, there's nobody in the loop. So if it breaks, the system is intelligent to figure out it broke, it repairs itself, it comes back to, to, to life and it just operates and it continues to operate itself. So that requires people who are not just top talent, but really have a unique culture. So talent, culture, yep. those two are absolutely important foundation to, to really bring up 
a stronger organization. Yeah, and the the goal obviously is a team that can turn AI projects into value, you know, and, and that is not necessarily easy. So we'll talk a little bit about both these factors that you talked about. We'll talk first actually about culture because there's, there's, there's a ton to unpack there. I'm aware that some of our listeners, maybe they work in a big multi-billion dollar manufacturing company. It's not Google. It's not three quarters engineers and three quarters PhDs or, or whatever. They need to get kind of their boots on the ground for some basic projects, need to get their data infrastructure in order. They need to see a couple projects that'll show promise so they can build on that investment and build these capabilities gradually. It may not make sense for them to have the no-touch factory of the future as as project number one. So, But there probably is something transferable from the lesson that you have. I think big tech, obviously, the day-to-day standards, the level of talent, the kinds of problems, you're going to have a different kind of person. But is there is there different advice or maybe something to to think about how that same culture idea would transfer to a more nascent industry or company? Yeah, so I, I would start with with the following is clearly that depending on the maturity of the company, there are different things you would need to basically embed. But from my experience is that first, you've got to under, understand what problem you're trying to solve. And the problem is not to say, well, it's an AI problem. What what what, what problem our customers want us to solve. So start with the problem, okay? And break that down. And what I found when, let's imagine I talked about closed loop automation, for example, or any type of solution, analytic solutions, whatever. What I found in my past, to solve one customer problem, whatever the customer wants, the customer in my business at least, may want to, you know, they, they may want to be monitoring their network. Simple as that. I just want to monitor my network. What you find out is that there are many organizations required for this, and there's a lot of silos. So you have maybe the the engineering organization, you have the product organization, the business organization, the professional services organization, maybe the a tools organization, innovation organization, and practically for you to build anything end to end where the focus is the customer. All of these people really need to come together. And, and that's been the hardest thing. It's not the problem is hard. It is oper- operationalizing the solution is very, very hard because of the silos. So the first place you start, honestly, is first, what problem we're trying to solve? And are we structured in a way that we can deliver that solution in an agile, fast way? Or do we have silos where each organization have their own, you know, you know, perf and objectives and goals, et cetera, and really to put them all together where the focus is the customer is usually missing. Got it. So beginning with that core problem, super critical. It sounds like there's also a factor here. You know, if I'm a leader of an AI team, we've got, let's just say we're focusing on customer churn. You know, maybe we are, we're in the telco space like you, maybe we're in the video space like a, a Netflix or something, whatever the case may be, we're focusing on customer churn. There's this element of, are we picking a problem that has too many silos? It sounds like if there are, maybe for some of these companies that are younger in the process of kind of AI adoption, they might be so sturdy in their silos. If we're trying to operate across three of them, it may be a lost cause. And we may need to think about kind of different project selection altogether. I mean, you've seen kind of older companies level up. Have you seen it start by breaking down silos first, working on AI second? Or have you seen it as kind of let's operate within a silo where we're not going to have resistance, let's show progress, and let's use that as an excuse 
to expand beyond the silos? How does this work within a big firm to make a team be able to succeed? Because this is tough stuff. It is tough stuff. And honestly, it usually happens backwards. Okay. okay and okay. it happens backwards in the following sense is that companies try, obviously, every company will tell you that their focus is the customer. Okay. Is solving customers' problems, customers first, customer experiences first. And then what they find the hard way is that as they try to solve customers' problems, they find that they are too expensive, it takes them too long, and customers get very upset, okay? A project that takes three months, an AI project, or six months, it really takes two years, okay? And what it takes usually five to seven people, it takes 50 to 70 people involved in the project. And then when they find that, they try to sort of say, well, well, we can't scale this way. What is exactly the problem? And so what you find out is that they go and reorganize. Okay. So it's sort of a backwards. What I mean by backwards is that they're trying to solve a problem. They do it the hard way. Then they find out they their biggest issue is that they're just siloed. It takes them too long, too much. Hmm. And so they go and reorganize to try to really address that problem. What should really happen is really sort of do it the, the, the correct way which is look at the organization, look at the business you're trying to do, what customers want you to do, and really ask the question, are you structured in a way that you could deliver these AI solutions? Remember, AI solutions require infrastructure, it requires data engineering, data transformation, data warehousing, AI technologies, AI development, you know, IT focus, you know, to and lifecycle management. All of that is basically required. And I'm not suggesting you put everybody in one organization, and that may be basically a, a 70-person organization. But I'm simply saying that if you want to deliver a project and be customer-centric in AI, you really need to bring that team together, a small team together. Okay. When I went to my business school, they told me that the ideal size of a team is 4.6. And I really carry that to heart. The ideal size of a team is 4.6. You don't need a huge team that would that would have to be breathing and living with each other to deliver an AI solution. But you need this team to bond, and it has to be cross-functions. It's not just engineering. It's got to be cross-functions. And their goal is one thing. They all have one common goal, which is to solve the customer problem. Well, you know, I, I never quite trust what those Quakers have to say. I went to grad school over there. I actually, a lot of our classes in positive psychology, we're in the Wharton building. So I know exactly what, probably where you did your learning there. Bezos has that rule of something like, you know, a team should be fed by no more than two pizzas or something. So there's a lot of these ideas around keeping teams small. And you're bringing up a really important point. You've seen it um, with your own eyes. Sometimes enterprises will take some actions against insurmountable silos, and then they'll have to force themselves to, oh, well, we failed enough times, let's reorg. Well, what you're saying is, we should be able to bring in some outside perspective, look at our actual goals and our transformation vision and ask the question, is there a way we need to be structured differently in terms of access and teams to even make this work? That should be a precursor question, ideally, is what you're saying. You're absolutely and right. That would and, require and higher up people to understand that though, right? And to get on that page. What's that going to take for enterprises to to see it? Because I think, you know, upstairs they might not know what these things require, Mazen, you know? Yeah, you're 100% right. Actually, that is the core of the issue here, especially when we are dealing with this this very, very complex world of AI and automation. Yes. Most people really don't understand it at the very senior level, okay? Yep. And, and, and really, 
But that's honestly, but that is changing. And I mentioned earlier is that what the senior leadership team are realizing is that their goal is to is to optimize the customer experience. Their goal is to drive costs down. Their, their goal is to identify new monetization opportunities. And they've really unanimously, that community, have come to the conclusion that the cloud and a distributed cloud is foundational to those objectives. There is nothing else. It's yep. foundational to object, objective. So once you go in that avenue, they're starting to have a couple. I mean, I'm seeing it today is that Folks who don't even talk about AI, don't talk about data, don't even understand analytics, because they're moving to the cloud, they're now seeing like, oh my God, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Oh, I can do all of this stuff. I can do this to my data. I can get all that intelligence. I can do all that monitoring. I can do all that automation that I wouldn't be able basically to do it before. I didn't even know these things are even possible. So I I actually think the cloud is a stepping stone towards that. Because it's really helping you to forget about infrastructure, to forget about compute, storage, security. I'm not saying these are not important. These are vital, but you don't have to worry about those anymore. And focus more on the business value that you're delivering to customers. Yeah. And well, and, and in the, being in the kind of network and vendor space, you might have a dog in this fight in terms of that perspective. But if I disagreed, I would say it. I kind of don't. I mean, I think all things considered, the general move to the cloud and the, and the sense that that enterprise leaders have about this preeminence of customer experience, even over the last four or five years across industries, we're seeing it just in terms of what kind of AI companies are getting funded and getting adoption. This stuff absolutely needs to happen. So hopefully those changes will tilt things in the direction that you would hope that they would, would not be working backwards in, in your language. The last thing we'll touch on is what you also mentioned around talent, getting top talent. I mean, you're working with one of the most talented companies in the world right now. And obviously you started off, I think, at Bell Labs, if I'm not mistaken, where there were also many of the most talented people in the world when you got your PhD. So, you know, getting talent is critical in this space. Obviously, some companies have unlimited budgets and, you know, already a massive reputation for AI, and and it's a little bit less challenging to win that talent. Others really are, you know, they've got to get strong ML engineers. They've got to get strong even data engineers and, and folks that can help lead these projects, but they might not have the same kind of repute and reputation. Any advice for enterprise team leaders that are thinking about how do we source great talent, maybe without necessarily always having the most money for every applicant. I mean, are there any practical ideas here from team leadership that we could take away before we wrap up? So number one is top talent doesn't have to come from Ivy League schools or anything like that. Top talent exists everywhere. And it's not really about paying them the highest salary or whatever. What amazing talent that I have seen, at least in my world, it was not the talent that gets the most paid. It's not because they came from the best school out there. It's not really. It's a talent that share the culture and the passion that you have. They're clearly educated, okay? They've gone and done their master's degree or bachelor degree somewhere. They have the passion towards AI and automation. But what really is most important about that talent is that from an employer, you want to sort of train them, invest in them. And you want to give them hardest problems and give them space to go and solve the hardest problem, basically, that you have. And they will figure this out. So it, it's really a lot of people think of top talent as get the, the Ivy League school you know, graduates and give them the highest pay. It really is not that. It's really getting the right people with skill sets 
but have the culture and the passion that you share in the company to go and solve a big problem. And in the AI space, that talent loves data. So if you want to really attract AI talent, you need to be in the data business. Back to what I was just talking about earlier. If you don't treat data as your first class citizen, you're not going to be able to attract AI top talent because what are they going to do? Nothing, right? (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So you want to attract top talent, position data as a first class citizen, and then you'll find that people, I have, you have no idea how many people I interview. And the first thing they tell me, AI talents, they say, do you have data? <laughs> okay. Many of the talents I've attracted in my old job or new job is because of the data. They are excited about the problems and yeah. the problems is based on the data. Got it. I'm going to put this in a nutshell as we wrap up and let me know if I'm on the right page. So we've got some good takeaways for those of you who are listening and looking to build an AI team. Maybe you don't have unlimited money. I think this is is some of the writer downers that I have. One is think about the discrete ML skills that you need, not necessarily just how big the university degree is and think about screening and filtering for that. A second is make sure you're bringing on folks who are a culture fit and who are actually excited about the overall mission of the organization. If they just have no passion for the space you're in, maybe Maybe they're not going to stick around. So consider that. And the number three is give them enough birth to handle hard problems and make sure that when they show up that we're not locked in silos. They actually have data access and they actually can make progress. Otherwise, they're not going to want to stick around. Am I am I getting this right here? You summarized it perfectly, Dan. As Fantastic. Always. Oh, come on now. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad. I want to I want to make sure people like take the lessons for people who've been there and apply them before they have to bump their head up against the wall. So Mazen, as always, it is a real pleasure. I hope we have more excuses to talk in the future. Thank you so much for joining us again. My pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and business podcast. I appreciate you being here with us again every Tuesday until the end of the year, that is to say the very end of December, we are going to be airing episodes on succeeding with AI teams, how to build AI teams that can actually get to ROI, not just write code. We have experts from PwC, from Rolls-Royce, and more coming up in this series. So stay tuned next week on Tuesday where we're going to have more episodes on the same theme. But again, I hope you were able to enjoy today. And I've certainly had some fun recording these episodes. We're going to be doing one kind of mega article on this topic on Emerge.com. Those of you who are in the newsletter are going to be seeing that. We're going to be distilling all the top insights from these four episodes early next year in January. So stay tuned for that. If you're not already on the newsletter, you're going to miss out on that article. So make sure to go over to emerj.com slash n1. That's n like newsletter and then the number one, just the letter n, the number one, emerj.com slash n1. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter there. We send out emails every Tuesday and Thursday, and you can make sure to stay in touch with all of our latest coverage on use cases in addition to all of our latest interviews. So thanks for tuning in on today's interview. I appreciate you being here. I look forward to catching you on the next one. You're on the AI and Business Podcast.